Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Happy Thanksgiving Eve, and we welcome you to the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, where today the Nittany Line basketball team will take on Ole Miss in the tournament here, and uh, it'll be a 5 o'clock tip-off, a 4.30 airtime. The Nittany Lions are 5-0 and coming into this game after their dramatic come-from-behind victory over Yale Saturday in the Jordan Center, 58-56 to on a day where Lamar Stevens had 13 points and a career-high 13 rebounds. So the Nittany Lions try to work their way to the championship game of this tournament against Ole Miss. The nightcap, by the way, will be Oklahoma State against Syracuse. Then on Thanksgiving, it's a day off for everybody. I'll spend a little bit of it here in Brooklyn uh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to the Girardi's uh, house for Thanksgiving. And then I'm probably going to take a little quick side trip from because Dick lives over in Yardley. Uh, from there down to uh, suburban north, uh, northern suburban Philly uh, because that's where my newest granddaughter is going to be with my son and his wife uh, on Thanksgiving tomorrow. Then, boom, right back. Don't know what time, obviously, the game's going to be on Friday based on the result of tonight's games and this evening's games. And then as soon as that's over, in the car and drive back and be back in time for Penn State and Rutgers Saturday in Beaver Stadium, 3.30 the kick and 2 o'clock the airtime here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Today's show is being brought to you by our great friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Hey, you want to do your Black Friday shopping? Go over to Sunbury Motors or Sunbury Motors Kia. Great deals all the time. Awesome sales staff. Great product. Service staff that is indeed second to none. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. It's bounce back time for the Nittany Lion football team after that tough, hard-fought game against Ohio State Saturday. Rutgers will be in here trying to somehow salvage something out of the season. And again, 3.30 the kick, 2 o'clock the airtime. And for Penn State basketball, 5-0 and on the season. And once again, you know, the, right now the signature win is over Georgetown. But tonight they get Ole Miss. Ole Miss, Kermit Davis's team is really good. This will be a great test for Penn State. Now, do I think Penn State should be a slight favorite? Yes. But Ole Miss is really good. You'll get a really good read on Penn State at this point by what happens here at the Barclays Center in about an hour, well, actually about an hour and 45 minutes because we have to do the pregame show. Coming up, Tony Knopp will join us from California. We'll talk to our good friend about the state of sports in just a few moments. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Keywoods 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Welcome back on this Thanksgiving Eve here at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn where Penn State gets ready to take on Ole Miss in the tournament. Tonight uh, it'll also be Oklahoma State against Syracuse. That is the nightcap here in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. All right, our good friend Tony Knopp. Tony, in fact, made the trip in 
for the Penn State-Michigan game. It was great to see him. Ironically, I was at Ohio State on Saturday, and a guy walks up and he goes, I'm a good friend of Tony Knopps. I said, it's great. I said, They're all over the place, and they should be. He's an awesome guy, knowledgeable. So, Tony, uh, let's get to the Chargers situation. We've talked about this before, uh, but – Look, they barely make any page in the L.A. Times. I mean, USC football makes a little bit more right now than they do because of the coaching situation. But they hardly get any space in the L.A. Times. More fans for the opposing team are going to their games. So what is the state of Chargers football? I mean, do they have any recognition in Los Angeles? A handful. You don't see them much. Uh, There's not much coverage of them. The problem was when they left San Diego, they also alienated all of their fans in Orange County and San Diego who wanted them to stay down there. Now, look, the the reality is when a team like Pittsburgh came out to San Diego, they took over Qualcomm, too. And before that, Jack Murphy. They're just such a strong national brand that any time you play in a softer sports market like San Diego or Los Angeles, or even really, like, even though San Francisco's got a great fan base, you're still going to get 20% of the stadium at least being Steelers fans. But, yeah, it was definitely overboard to the point where even the players were complaining that they started playing Steelers theme music during the game. The biggest problem that, you know, people from outside of the area don't really remember in this whole process is that the NFL didn't want the Chargers to come to Los Angeles. They offered them $100 right. million dollars not to. And the right. Chargers, you know, they walked away from that money and decided to pay the $600 million relocation fee that they owed and, and came anyways. And now the question is, what do you do next? Because, you know, there's rumors of maybe trying to do a behind-closed-door sell the team to move them back, but they have a, a personal seat license guarantee that they have to hit, and they're not even within 80% of that number right now. He good. Yeah, they're way, way below. It's, it's you know, and, and they're getting some of the partnerships that are coming into the are that are coming into the stadium that are being split. But I just I can't imagine how they're going to be able to fill that I mean, fill that stadium for a sustainable future. You know, the one thing they're going to have going for them is as the stadium opens and it's its own attraction, people are going to go to Chargers yeah. games because they're going to be able to get tickets. So for the first two years, attendance won't be bad because I want to see the new building. After that, I don't know if there's a sustainable future for the Chargers unless something dramatic changes, and I, I really don't know what that's going to be, especially with the Clippers going in right next door. Yeah, because the Clippers, they want to build an in Inglewood. How much of a problem is James Dolan for Steve Ballmer and the Clippers to build an in Inglewood? There's, there are a lot of conversations happening that this is a foregone conclusion, despite the fact that there's already a litany of lawsuits going back and forth. The reality is what Dolan and the uh, MSG slash Irving Azoff group are arguing is that when they poured all that money into the forum, they did it because they had an agreement with the mayor. Uh, the mayor down there is James Butts, and he was going to give them a, a form of exclusivity. And now he's offering a lot of those similar incentives to the new group, to Balmer's group. And it's being talked about in the press almost like it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to go down there. But for those who aren't familiar with the L.A. sports scene, this has happened before. They even were going to build a football stadium downtown and got so far into the plans that they sold the naming rights for it. Uh, Farmer's Field was going to be the home of the L.A. Rams as of five years ago, and they had the naming rights for the stadium already sold at a $500 million deal. So this is not new to us. Um, Dolan is going to be the reason that it doesn't happen if it doesn't happen. 
And it's amazing because now you have one NBA owner against the other. You do. And and you have NBA owners of uh, different um, gravitas, so to speak, within the with the teams that they own, right? James Dolan doesn't have the most sterling reputation right now, but obviously the Knicks right. are a, you know, a linchpin franchise within the NBA, and the Clippers have gotten better recently, but we know their history has been spotted, and they're obviously number two to the Lakers. So, you know, the, the Clippers leaving Staples Center does hurt AEG a little bit, who owns a piece of the Lakers as well, because they sell their premium rights. Um, it's going to be an interesting battle to see who ends up where, but all of this plays into what happens with the Chargers, because now you have the Clippers fighting MSG for the forum, Staples Center's fighting against Live Nation as far as concerts go, and then you have the Chargers who show up, who have really no history in Los Angeles, you know, that's, that's uh, recent, no fan base, and a giant personal seat license goal to hit. I just don't see any way they get there. I just don't. I, if, if you're no. asking me, the Chargers aren't in Los Angeles in five years. Probably last. Uh, and you said that the last time we were on, that you yeah. thought that was a distinct possibility that you know they wouldn't be there. I mean, no, I, they're not gonna be there. this is this is one of the more absurd things I've seen in sports. I've seen absurd things, but I sit there and go, "Oh wait, you're going someplace where you're a non-entity, yeah. and you're not the only show in town." You're not only not the only show in town, but for those who don't travel there often, L.A. is still a very Raiders town. Like, there's still a very large Raider fan base in Los Angeles as well. So the Chargers who will go to Las, Ve- who will go to Las, Las Vegas to watch them? And they'll go to yeah, Las Vegas they, to watch them. They will. They're, they're not the number two team in L.A. They're, the number, they're probably the number four team in L.A. because USC's football team is, you know, obviously above them as well. And unlike, not, not, they're not as rabid as Happy Valley, but when the team is good, they can draw 70,000 80,000 people to the game. That's something that the Chargers can't do. All right, so now let's get to the China issue. Uh, Maury sends out his tweet in support of the protesters in Hong Kong. LeBron then made his statement yesterday. What kind of – let's get to the, to the bottom line. The NBA cares about money. Mm-hmm. And, let's not, and let's not be cute here. I mean, LeBron James is now in the movie industry, too. And you and I both know that China is a critical market in the movie industry. Fair? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what did this do to dent the NBA, and what kind of bind are they in right now because of it? I think people don't understand the viewership of the NBA in China. You know, first of all, there's a number of business interests that are over there that are standalone in China. So, for example, Clay Thompson and um, – there's another major player that has a shoe that their shoe deal is in China. Like, this isn't a supplementary shoe deal. That is their shoe deal. It's in China, and that's where they get paid from. Uh, Also, as far as viewership goes for the NBA in China, it's on par with viewership in North America. So the fact that this happened, you know, there's a couple of things that have been interesting in watching this and and watching how crisis management has really happened and how this has dented the NBA. I mean, this, to me, is as bad, maybe worse, than the kneeling problem was for the NFL. And it's because, number one, regardless of what Daryl Morey thinks, he's in a position where he needs to know better than to voice that opinion. And let me give a very simple example of that, such as constituents. I just know that as part of my job. So LeBron making that statement that he made is absolutely correct. What I'm surprised by, Steve, and I know it would have been a, a huge problem for them, is, you know, 
we're going to test the resolve of the Chinese people and see how long they're going to hold this against the NBA. And if they do hold it against the NBA for a long time, it's going to be crippling on the business side. Now, that said, um, I'm surprised what they didn't do was have Maury resign, you know, within a short period of time after making that statement and just say, look, I didn't want to damage some people. Give them a package, let them walk away. He can come back in a few years. I'm actually really surprised that that didn't happen. Now, and the, play, and the is, players and the players brought that up in a meeting with Adam Silver. Absolutely, the players brought it up, and what they said that was poignant was, if a player had tweeted this, what would you have done? And you know, the reality is, it's worse over there than I think. You know, sometimes you know there's sensationalism in the in the press, and you think that they're making more of this than they are, but they aren't in this circumstance. You know, I have very dear friends who just got back two days ago, uh, who were out there for that game. You know, we've done a lot of work with the Nets in the past. We do a ton of work with the Lakers in the Staples Center. And they said it was incredibly uncomfortable while they were there for the players to look out the window and see their faces being painted over, for them to not be able to talk about the game, for them to go to the game and have all the sponsor logos covered up. They said it was palpable. This was not a PR stunt. And so they absolutely felt it. And now today, people are starting to burn jerseys. Uh, this is a circumstance where, you know, it's going to follow the NBA for quite a long time, and we'll see how well they handle crisis management. Let's not forget this is a league that had a ref uh, admit to cheating and putting one of the ultimate stains on their championship with the 2002 uh, Lakers-King series. We all remember that game, and then Donahue came out and said, yeah, no, we were absolutely cheating for that game. So in the short term, this is a significant financial burden to the NBA, and I don't see it going anywhere for a little while, to be totally honest. Which then brings in the next part. Because of how it's played out so publicly here, do you think there's been damage done in this country in their attitude toward the NBA, despite what it means financially in China? The unfortunate reality of what's going to happen now is thinking about any close relationship somebody has with a close best friend, with a husband or a wife, with a partner of, you know, of whatever kind. This is the kind of fault that won't go away. And when we get to the next CBA, the reality is these players are, you know, as Jay-Z said, and they have all adopted, I'm a business man. I'm not just a businessman, right? It's how they're approaching their likeness. It's how they're approaching making money. It's how they're approaching their cut of the pie. We have been told and been seen in the press a few days later that there are teams modeling for a lower salary cap because of this. Now, if you are on the NBA Players Association and you just saw your salary cap drop anywhere from 5 to 12% because of something that a general manager who's quote-unquote on the other side of the business negotiation than you did, how are you going to react? How are you going to look at what punishments can be in place, how you can be treated when you do something that's damaging to the brand, what we can do when we start talking about you know, social rights and what we have the ability to come out and say, this, when I say I don't know how long this is going to come with China, I really don't. I don't know how long you know, we're going to reverberate in China and see the financial uh, burden of it. But when it comes to the states, we're going to be hearing about this in every CBA for the next 15 years. This is the yeah, example and, and, that the and, Players Association will use for the next 15 years. Right. About what management did to mm-hmm. affect their, their personal bottom line. That's in my personal bottom line, and there was relatively little, if not any, consequence or recourse for his actions. Right. 
so when you look at what what does the NBA get from China? About twenty percent of their total take. Is that about I right? think I saw it was almost thirty. It's like twenty eight percent or something. Okay, twenty eight percent. Under Adam Silver, I think it's safe to say there have been no missteps. And I'm not he's not the one that made a misstep. How do well, you feel he has there's, done there's, for the first the thing, time? Fault and responsibility, right? Right. This isn't Adam Silver's fault, but it's definitely his responsibility, right? And how he responds to that is what's going to paint where this goes forward. And the fact that he didn't do anything to Maury is a response. We don't right. know if that's a it's, misstep yet. We'll figure that out right. as time passes. Uh, personally, I but think really, I think really is the first time we've seen him in crisis management, right? Yeah. He's had a pretty honeymoon-like um, rise to power underneath Stern. And I think that was on purpose. You know, Stern, on his way out, cleared up a few things, which will happen with many commissioners on the way out the door. Right, take, take a few bullets to make it easier for the next guy. Um, he's handled the gambling thing well. He's handled, handled the social impact thing well. Uh, yeah. You know, he's, and it's, a, it's an ever-changing landscape for him because he's been the one that's been on, in charge as – you know, to be totally honest, Steve, I think we all agreed that the last CBA didn't work, right? The intent right. of the last CBA was to create supermax contracts so that players had less control and they stayed in small markets, and the exact opposite has happened, right? right. The, the players have taken control of the league, and that's maybe not a bad thing. I, you know, why shouldn't they? But that said, how he handles this is going to define his legacy because this is the kind of thing that's not going to go away. I think this is, you know bigger than uh, Spygate was. I think this is bigger than um, the deflated footballs. I think it's bigger than all of those things. Because, and it's, it's, in my personal opinion, I think it's even bigger than David Stern uh, voiding the trade of Chris Paul to the Lakers. Right, right. right? Which basically it, took away all objectivity when it comes to player movement. This is a bigger deal than all of those things because as much as you want, this is a uh, this is a union contract that's been jointly negotiated. Tony Knopp joining us from Los Angeles. We're at the Barkley Center today where Penn State gets ready to take on Ole Miss. 5 o'clock will be the tip-off, 4.30 the airtime just an hour from now. It's great to have you with us on this Thanksgiving Eve. So much to be thankful for. Thankful for each and every one of you that listen to us all the time. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We'll talk about minor league baseball next half hour on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. 
Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. On this Thanksgiving Eve, brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Brooklyn has a minor league team, the Cyclones in the New York Penn League. They're going to make it. There's no question about that. Kevin Riker joins us from BaseballDigestBallpark.com. Welcome, Kevin. Great to have you with us. You are so welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's get to this proposal that the majors have put together where they would take the minor leagues and knock down 42 franchises, including the vast majority of the New York Penn League. First of all, what were your thoughts when you saw the proposal? My thought was that it it makes some sense from the major league viewpoint to try to compress travel and address facilities in the minor leagues. But my second immediate thought was, boy, this is a really terrible way to handle this situation. And it's, you know, coming into a a fight with uh, with a cannon, not not with a reasonable alternative whatsoever. There are certain ballparks that I've been to in the New York Penn League, and Auburn and Batavia would be two places right away. You would say, boy, that's not really, and with all due respect, to Major League Standard. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I can see what they're talking about there. But then I look at State College, and I know the Cardinals, for example, love State College, but they're a New York Penn League team. When you look mm-hmm. at a new facility that a major league team likes, does it help their chances? I, I think in the case of State College, and, and you know, I've been there, so I, I know it's actually a gorgeous ballpark. I don't think it's a facility issue as much as a geographic issue. Um, the, the, the teams that are surviving out of the New York Penn League don't have nicer ballparks and don't have nicer facilities, but they're more centrally located. And that comes back to the travel issue I mentioned earlier. Part of this proposal calls for a new Mid-Atlantic League to cut down on travel between the Sally and the Midwest Leagues. Yep. It calls for reorganization of the AAA League, uh, two of them, into three leagues. And unfortunately, State College uh, right now was looked at for elimination because of location, and that's a sad thing. All right, the, who else would fall into that category? What about Williamsport? The majors have played a game there. The facility is okay. Uh, the field, obviously, is top shelf because MLB puts it in. Where do they fall into this? I think it's also, you know, a, a line had to be drawn somewhere, and no one was willing to fight for um, for that that team, unfortunately. You, you are seeing some major league teams fighting for some of their affiliates. Um, you saw the Pirates sort of fight for uh, West Virginia, for example. Yes, great um, facility. But yep. yes, and that's you know not a it's an okay ballpark. It's you know player facilities good, um, but it's also more centrally located in terms of travel. Um, but but one thing I want to stress right now to, to everyone this is this is still a very preliminary um, yes proposal. It's not final by by any means. And you're seeing the last couple of days a lot of political, you know, bad feedback across the nation. I mean, where, what other proposals in this day and age do you see that would combine a rather right-wing congressman like Montana's, you know, Giafronte with uh, Chuck Schumer and Bernie Sanders? Yeah. The, the, the response has been at, from one end of the political spectrum to the other against this proposal. 
here's the part that I, I, I look at when it comes to this proposal that I think it's important. Major League Baseball is about a $9 billion business. I think that's roughly right in the ballpark, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you are struggling right now with the 18 to 49-year-old fan. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to look at 40 markets where you can grow some grassroots fan base and you're telling them no thanks. Right. Absolutely. You look at... You know, if you if you're in the Northeast, if you're in Vermont, if you're in New Hampshire, you know your choices are Boston or, you know, Boston. You're going to have a long drive to get to any any sort of baseball game. The same thing in Wyoming, Montana, uh, and Idaho. You know, Montana's looking to lose all its professional baseball teams. Uh, Utah's, which is a fast-growing, prosperous state, would lose three of them. So, you know, there, this, this doesn't seem to, to have much thought put into it in terms of a national game anymore. It's turning into a very regional game, and that's, that's bad news for everyone involved. All right. Uh, I want to get to the negotiation part, and you did bring this up, and I want to expand upon that. I think people have to understand, they care about these teams, that this is the opening salvo in a negotiation, and there's room for compromise. Would that be fair? That's very fair. See, before the news was broken, we we had gotten wind of it before it broke, and we, it was stressed repeatedly. This is just the opening gambit. Minor league baseball had not even counter proposed yet. Um, so, in a way, news about this broke kind of prematurely. And, you know, there's been a negotiating committee that's been looking at this for two or three months, and they're continuing to meet, and the both sides still continue to meet. And you will, you know, there'll be some meetings at the winter meetings, but traditionally, you know, of late, not a lot has happened at the winter meetings. There, there's going to be owners' meetings before that where there'll be probably more action. But there's all sorts of chatter happening in the background. You know, the minor league, the major league people, several teams are going, wait a minute, this isn't what, quite what we expected to have happen. And, you know, the minor league people are all going, well, if you come to us with something reasonable, say no more, no more Appy League and no more Pioneer League, yes, there, there would have been a compromise made. You could do away with the rookie leagues, quite honestly, because a lot of teams send their best players to camp leagues now, like the Gulf Coast League or the Arizona League. So, you know, those are very travel-intensive leagues, especially the Pioneer League. Um, and in terms of sharing some costs, yeah, that, that could have been, that could have been um, brought up. But, but, but casting this in a very adversarial manner, saying, you know, this is what we're going to do, take it or leave it, was not the best way to begin a round of negotiations. Yeah, exactly. It also means it's going to be a very, to me, first of all, they took the month of October off negotiating during postseason. So I Mm -hmm. I want people to understand that that month, both sides agreed this is not the time to do it. Let's play the postseason, the majors, then get back to work later. But it does bring up to me, Kevin, that it makes San Diego's winter meetings far more interesting and maybe far more adversarial than people would realize. Well, the irony is that San Diego, and I don't know if you've been, the way San Diego is set up, traditionally the winter meetings are held at a single complex. You'll have major league in one tower, minor league in the other. 
Well, the way it's set up in San Diego, I'll be there for the minor league stuff and the major league. There's like a half mile in between the hotels. There's That's no right. joint lobby. There's no Peter Gammons greeting everyone at the doors the mayor of the winter meeting. <laughs> it will be a very it, it, San Diego's very unsocial winter meetings, and you know it, it would have been bad to begin with, and now it'll be even worse because each side will be hunkered down at their own end of the convention center. Uh, I want to say September 15th next year is the deadline for all this, correct? It is. It is, although traditionally it's done in advance of the last season of of the agreement. Which is so what they're more, attempting. A more realistic date they might be shooting for would be, you know, February. What is part of this, if I recall how this proposal works, the Northwest League would transition to a full season league. Yes. What What is it about short season where draft choices can get themselves acclimated because, I mean, in the New York Penn because the level of play in the New York Penn League, since they changed the signing rules on draft choices to the Major League Baseball All-Star game as a deadline, the level mm-hmm. of play in this league went way up because of that, because the draft choices were playing here. So what is it about short season that they, they, they weren't enamored with as a way to break players in? Well, he, th- this is where, uh, this is sort of an unreported side of this, and I'm surprised the players aren't raising all holy cane about this is because part of this involves moving the draft back to August and cutting it in yes, half. That I do and know. That, yep. And that means so if you are playing for Penn State and your season ends with the Big Ten tournament, you'll be done until August. No right. summer collegiate ball because you don't have NCAA double, you know, if you're a senior. You have no NCAA uh, eligibility left. So you're sort of on your own until you're drafted. And the plan is for the analytics people then to have first crack at the players at camps in the winter, and then they they begin their professional career the next summer, the next full season. See, and And, that's that's illogical because you and I both know they need to play. Oh God, yes. This is when they they need the way to you know I. The analytics people are really good at some things, but at the end of the day, a baseball player needs to play. It's, a, it's muscle memory. It's repetition. Analytics are great at refining that. But tell, you know, and, and plus financially, you know, these, these kids are going to miss out on a year of, of playing baseball. Yeah, Their contract won't kick in until the following year. Here's the other part. Let's go back to the publicity part for a moment. What's really neat about the College World Series? Well, there are a lot of elements that are neat about it. But one of them is X, Y, and Z all got drafted by these teams. Again, positive publicity for the major leagues, even though these guys aren't close to the major leagues yet. They, they, to me, this proposal, the majors need as much positive publicity as possible. They've done that, for example, by going to Williamsport. They've done that by the Field of Dreams game coming up or how they mm-hmm. played at the College World Series this year. But they do this, and now you look at 40 small towns in America and tell them, nah, no, we're not going to do it. And then you look at the College World Series, and there's no draft, so there's no fun about saying, hey, the Rangers drafted him. Hey, check this out, the, the Rays drafted him. Like, yeah. you, lose, you lose all that positive publicity. Oh, exactly, exactly. It, it is great exposure for major league teams to be identified with these young players People love young players. They love the enthusiasm. They love, 
you know, the potential. And and Major League Baseball has done a great job in terms of reaching out at the College World Series with the draft, with events like Williamsport in the past two summers and with Dyersville, Iowa next mm-hmm. year. Um, and that's going to be wiped out totally. And, and, and at a time when Major League Baseball still could use more momentum, I, I find it kind of sad that, you know, this player development system we were just talking about, that's the Houston plan. Well, you really don't want to be instituting big changes based on what the Houston Astros are pushing at the moment. No, you don't. Uh, exactly. And not only that, but when you have a push in the analytics department that players beyond the age of 33 don't quite have the place that they had in the majors anymore, that means you had, you need to put more into player development, not less. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, analytics people think that if, if they just can apply their methods, they can make a good player out of, out of a mediocre one. And in some cases, it's worked. In some cases, it doesn't. Um, and the veterans, the, you know, the, the wily veterans who add to the clubhouse tend to get really lost in the mix. And I think you saw the Washington Nationals make sort of a mockery of that system. The, the Nationals are not a big analytics no, by any stretch, no. and they won the World Series. I mean, yeah. what what bigger endorsement do you need than that? Well, exactly. Well, the Red Sox won the year before. To be honest with you, even though they have analytics people there, they didn't really play like an analytics team. No, they did not. They they no. still the Red Sox, to their credit, still relied a, a lot on on sort of the wily old scouts, um, like like other teams do. Twins strong analytic department. Joe rely on scouts quite a bit. There's uh, okay. That in baseball. Uh, I, I want to say Pat O'Connor is the one that is with minor league baseball. Mm-hmm. In order yep. to negotiate, you do need some leverage. What's the miners' leverage in this? PR, a PR campaign. I, you've seen them be very quiet. In, in a traditional deference to the major league teams, um, you seem to be very quiet throughout the whole beginning of this process. I mean, Major League Baseball was leaking all the details, not the minor league people. Right. We started to report on this before it broke. Couldn't get minor league people to, to say peep. They wouldn't say anything at all. But the major league people ended up saying, yeah, this is what we want to do. Here, here it is. Uh, his leverage right now is PR. His leverage right now is uh, working with his owners to approach every congressperson on the face of the earth, every mayor, and yep. say, we need a PR battle to, to combat this. And traditionally, minor league baseball doesn't do campaigns like this. And so exactly. it's sort of a, a new situation for all involved. The fact that it's the Astros' proposal and the Astros are currently in a different realm in deep trouble. In some ways, does that aid the minor league argument because it is the Astros' proposal, and right now there's not a lot of tolerance for the Astros? I, I think to an extent. Um, I think you got to kind of know a lot about baseball to, to, to consider that aspect of it. Um, and on the flip side, the Astros also win a lot, so... You know, well, people I know. Oh, mixed, yeah. I mixed know. images of the team. 
Um, but it does within the industry. It doesn't. It doesn't help whatsoever. And in fact, I think there's not really a big taste within Major League Baseball to call this the Houston plan. Well, I think in the end of this, uh, I think you're going to have a lot of people saying, "Well, how do we develop people? We're just going to do it at, at a few levels." And I think that right. that I think in the end, Kev, uh, Kevin, I think that's going to play a role in this. Right, and and you know, and and you've seen this. Baseball sort of has evolved into a true two-track player development system, anyway. Sure, you know the big the big bonus players, they're going to get coddled. They're going to get the sixth and seventh chances that the thirty-ninth round player isn't going to get. Right, and and that's understandable. Teams want to protect their investments, but if you look at the players who are drafted in the later rounds, the Mike Piazzas, you know the 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 Mark Graces, the, well, the Greg I saw, Boy, I saw, Greg Ho- I saw Jose, I saw Jose Altuve play against the Spikes at Tri City with Dallas Keuchel. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Joe Mauer was a first round draft choice. He began his career in the Appy League with Elizabethton. Yeah. yeah. The Twins did not coddle him whatsoever. They sent him to to rookie league, and uh, look out! Look out! Joe Mauer turned out. So, give me an idea when you think that we'll get a better read on this. Next month at the winter meetings, spring training, when do you think? What's your sense, Kevin? My sense is people will talk more about it at the winter meetings, so you'll see a lot more coverage of the issue. You will see things kind of quiet down after the winter meetings because December, everything in baseball kind of quiets down. And then you'll see a lot of fervor about the issue pop up in January when talks continue and the 2020 season is on everyone's mind because spring training, of course, starts February 10th with the first players reporting. So um, January is going to be a real key month. What's your gut as to how it ends up playing? I think the league reorganizations will happen. I think 20 or so teams will go away. I do think rookie league teams will go away. Um, but I think other, other teams on the chopping block will, uh, will stick around, uh, and then both sides will declare a win. And I'll make a, a quick prediction to you. Believe it or not, I think State College survives. I think so too. I think uh, New York Penn League. I think politically, it would at some point um, the the MLB people are going to say, "Well, maybe that's not the best idea. Let's raise that to a full season." Yes, or I, 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 they only, yes, I agree. It would expand to a full season. I think the facility's too good, and they've drawn one hundred twenty-three thousand in thirty-eight dates on average. Yeah, I mean, I, I would not be surprised to see a team or two be cut. You mentioned Auburn. You mentioned Batavia. Yes. There's facility issues. There's ownership issues. Yes. There are some teams that just don't really need to, to succeed, and there's there, no one's presented viable alternatives for them, at least ones that they've, you know, that have been able to act upon. And so that would not surprise me at all, but I think the league as a whole is going to survive. Kevin, thanks so much. Kevin Reichert joining us from ballparkdigest.com. He says full season minor league baseball, also maybe fewer games, too, instead of 144, maybe 120 to 130. It's interesting. 
All right, today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Matt Catrillo talks with Nate Sestina as we continue from Brooklyn on News Radio 1070 WKOK.